You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. are not formal here. This is more like a living room talk and we're all friends. So I want to start by getting interactive with you all this morning. And I want to ask you a question. When you think about who you are, what are the first three things that come to mind? And I want you to call out some of those. When you think about who you are, what are the first three things that come to mind? Nationality, okay. What's that? A mom, yeah. Occupation. Old. (laughs) I I can relate to that one, Greg, yeah. (laughs) Old. Other things that you think about? Gender. What was that? Tired. Apparently Greg is old and tired, but anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, when I think about that, for myself, I mean, things that come to my mind are I'm a retiree, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a national parks enthusiast, I'm a Utah jazz fan. So lots of descriptors typically come to mind um, when we think about ourselves. And I think we all have some commonality in that. So years ago, well, a few years ago, Lifeway Research did a study of 1,010 participants, and they asked the research participants, the same question that I just asked you. When you think about yourself, what are the first three things that came to mind? And their top responses were being a parent, which we had that, something associated with their job or occupation, and interestingly enough, the third one was being intelligent. So we didn't claim that one, but we, we all are. So I think you and I are not alone in the way we think about ourselves and the way that we often describe ourselves. And what I want you to hear is there is absolutely nothing wrong with identifying yourself as old (laughs) or by your occupation or by saying that you are a spouse or a parent. There is nothing inherently wrong with identifying yourself by being a fan of whatever. Travis is a fan of hockey, apparently. He has his shirt on this morning. You know, these are all good identifiers, and some of them are even God-given roles. And I think often, these identifiers really help us relate to one another and understand one another better. But here's a caution that I want to give you. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, then we must understand that none of these descriptors is our true identity. I love the way the late pastor and theologian Tim Keller described it. He said, your identity as a believer 
is received. It is not achieved. And so that's going to be our big idea for today. A believer's true identity is received, not achieved. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, then God has given you your identity. And Paul describes that identity for us in Ephesians chapter 1. And so that's going to be our text for today. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And as we take a look at this text, we're first going to look at the problems with identity. And then secondly, we're going to look at the promises of identity. So we're going to start with the problems first, the problems with identity. And as we talk through some of these problems, I'm actually going to use myself as an example. Because unfortunately, over many, many years, I have placed my identity in things other than Jesus. And what I found is that those things were not stable nor consistent. And so often it left me with the question, who am I? Who am I? And so as I go through these examples for my own life, I want you to also think about your life. And I want you to think, are you placing your identity in any of these things that I describe? And as a result, are you experiencing or have experienced some of the identity crises that I have? So, who am I? That's the big question that we're going to answer today. Now, just like all of you, I was born as a child to my two biological parents, and so from the earliest age that I can remember, I identified myself as a daughter. But when I was a preschooler, my parents split up, and my mom went one way and my dad went the other way, and neither chose me. And so suddenly and unexpectedly, with one big blow, my identity as a daughter was shattered. Who was I? When I was old enough to begin school, I started to identify myself as a student, and I strove to be the best possible student that I could be. And I did a pretty good job at that because I was known by phrases like, oh, she's really smart, she's going to go far in the world, she makes good grades. But you guys know what typically happens to students, right? They graduate. And so after high school and after college and after graduate school, on the day that I walked across the stage to receive my final degree, my identity as a student was terminated. Who was I? Now, thankfully, after graduation, I found employment with a large, well-respected company and quickly, I had another identity, and that identity was that of a career woman. I loved this identity. This was my favorite identity to date, and I found much significance in that. And then, a man named Noland entered my life. He's still in my life, if you're wondering. <laughs> 
And after a year and a half of knowing this man, I became a wife. And so now I had two identities, the identity of a career woman and the identity of a wife. But I'm going to be really honest with you and tell you that I valued my identity as a career woman much more than I valued my identity as a wife. I loved Nolan very, very much. But here's the thing. I did not know how to quantify my achievement as a wife. And my identity was tied to what I could do. I knew how to quantify achievement at work. And my supervisors helped me with that, with performance reviews and raises and promotions and salary, uh, salary increases. So I was a career woman and I was a wife. And then two years later, our daughter Catherine was born and suddenly I was a mom. I was identified as a mother. And again, in all honesty, I have to tell you that that identity was very unsettling to me. And there are many reasons for that, but I think the primary one was that I held this enormous fear that I was going to be like my mom. And remember, my mom had abandoned me. And so I was afraid that I would replicate that pattern that I had seen in her, but like it or not, I had a child, and so I was a mother. One of my identities was a mother, but here's my thinking. Hey, I am high capacity. I am totally capable. I can be a career woman, a wife, and a mom, and so I put Catherine in daycare, and I continued to work and climb the corporate ladder and I loved all of the career achievements and accomplishments. But God. Some of you have heard me say this before. That's actually my favorite phrase in scripture. But God. He had a plan for my life. He had a plan for our family. And so fast forward three years. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Through a series of very difficult circumstances, including a life-threatening illness, and I quit my job. I terminated my identity as a career woman, and I became a full-time stay-at-home wife and mom. Now, I'd like to tell you that that was the happiest day of my life, but that would be a total lie. Because even though I knew that this was something that God wanted me to do, this was a very, very difficult and disorienting transition for me. And the question that continued to run through my mind is, who am I? Who am I? Because again, for all the years that I could remember, my identity was tied into what I could accomplish, what I could quantifiably accomplish. And so now I'm in this environment where I'm not evaluated on being a wife or a mom. I mean, you know, evaluating yourself on how many loads of clothes you do in a day is just doesn't quite get it. 
And so having this no evaluation period of life was extremely frightening and disorienting for me. Because, like, from where or from whom am I now going to get my self-worth? From where or from whom am I going to get my value? How am I going to feel good about myself? Who was I? Now, maybe you can relate to some of my past identity issues. Maybe you can't. Maybe your identity issues are not exactly like mine, but I wonder, how often do you evaluate yourself or find your identity in the money that you make? In your job title? How often do you find your self-worth from the number on the bathroom scale? How often do you identify yourself by the neighborhood in which you live, the vacations that you take, the vehicle that you drive? How often do you get your self-worth and your value from the accomplishments of your children or your grandchildren, the success of your spouse? How often do you identify yourself by your physical or health limitations or your past failures? I've had a lot of identity issues. I know this identity crisis firsthand. But what I want you to know, what God has taught me over many years is this, identity in anything or anyone other than Jesus is transient and temporary and leads to feelings of fear, frustration, and failure. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down and come back to that. Identity in anything or anyone other than Jesus is transient and temporary and leads to feelings of fear, frustration, and failure. Because, listen, without any malicious intent or without any prior planning, or thought, your identity in anything or anyone other than Jesus can be lost. If you first or foremost identify yourself as part of a couple, as a spouse or a romantic partner, then what happens when that person dies or leaves you? If you first and foremost identify yourself as a parent, what happens in those empty nester years? In the years where your child grows up and moves out and you don't have hands-on parenting anymore? If you find your identity in your work, what happens when you're downsized, when you're let go, when you're retired? 
If you find your identity in the size of your investments, what happens when the stock market slides and your portfolio loses value? If you find your identity in your appearance, then what happens when that life-saving medication causes you to gain weight or an injury alters your appearance? There is absolutely nothing wrong with being a spouse, a parent, a savvy investor, a top-notch employee. All of those things are good. They are blessings. From God. There is nothing wrong with being a fitness buff or taking a nice vacation or being delighted in the accomplishments of your spouse or your children. But here's the thing if any of those things becomes who you are, then you are on a slippery slope. You are in dangerous territory. We're on shaky ground. Because identity in anything or anyone other than Jesus is temporary and transient and leads to feelings of fear, frustration, and failure. Take it from one who has experienced all of that. So that's the problems with identity. Now I want us to look at the promises of identity. And if you have a copy of the scripture, turn with me to Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the um, verses are going to be on the screen. So Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus while he was a prisoner in Rome. And the purpose of this letter was twofold. Number one, Paul wanted to remind the people of Ephesus how precious they were to God. And number two, he wanted to remind those believers that they belong to something greater, more significant than themselves. So look with me at verses one through three of this letter. It starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So Paul starts off like he does most letters, he introduces himself, and then he tells us that those who are in Christ, which just simply means those who follow Jesus because they have a relationship with him, they are blessed. And what are those blessings? What are God's promises to those who are in Christ? Well, he begins to tell us in verses 4 through 14. So verse 4, Paul says, for he, that's God, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So we're going to list these blessings 
that are found in Christ. And the first one is that we are chosen by God. He chose us in him. Think about that just a moment. You're not an afterthought in God's mind. You are not an accidental member of his body. You were chosen by God. You were hand-picked by him. You know, this really was a pivotal moment in my spiritual life when I really believed in my heart of hearts, when I really believed this truth. And this was the beginning of my understanding of my true identity. Because as I shared with you earlier, I was rejected by my parents. I grew up knowing that I was not chosen by my biological parents. But God's word tells me that he chose me. The God of all creation, the sovereign God of the universe, the God who holds all power chose me. Like you have to admit, that's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it? That the God of the universe chose you. And when did he choose you? This is key to our understanding of our identity. When did God decide that he wanted you? The scripture says before the creation of the world. You, as a believer, were chosen before the creation of the world. Now, let me tell you, for myself and for any of you who have this identity tied up in what you can do, this puts that to death. <laughs> because if I was chosen before the beginning of the world, then there was nothing that I did to deserve God choosing me. There is nothing that you did that caused God to choose you. He simply chose you because of his immeasurable love and his lavish grace. The first promise of our identity in Christ is that we were chosen by God. And then the second blessing or promise of our identity in Christ is that we are adopted by God. Look at verse 5. He, God, predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. We are adopted by God. Now, I know some of you in this room have been through that process of adoption. And as you know, adoption is the act of choosing one to be your own. Adoption means that you are legally transferred from your family of origin into a new family. And adoption is never by accident, is it? I don't know anyone who woke up one morning and said, oh, yeah, yeah, this person was randomly transferred into my family. 
Adoption is a conscious and caring choice. And adoption by God means that the eternal and sovereign creator of the universe has given you and me official standing in his family. We have been formally transferred into God's family, making us sons and daughters of the King. We are chosen by God and we are adopted by God. And then the third blessing or promise of our identity in Christ is that we are redeemed by God. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. Now, redemption is not a word that we use a whole lot in our culture right now, but it means to purchase and set free. And the Ephesians, the people to whom Paul wrote this letter, would have been really familiar with this concept of redemption, as historical records tell us that there were upwards of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And these slaves were bought and sold like pieces of furniture, but... A person could purchase a slave and set him free. A slave could be redeemed. And that's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed us. He redeemed us from our sin and ourselves. He redeemed us from those false identities and those labels. Jesus set us free. And he did that with the purchase price of his own blood. He redeemed us and he gave us a forever and final identity as sons and daughters of the king. As believers, we are chosen by God, we are adopted by God, we are redeemed by God. Our identity is received. It is not achieved. And then the fourth blessing or fourth promise of our identity in Christ is that we are forgiven by God. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, Scripture tells us that in order for us as sinful human beings to have a relationship with the Holy God, our sins must be forgiven. And Scripture tells us that that forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood. And so when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, he paid the payment that you and I deserve for our sins. And God accepted that payment and forgave our sins. Past sins, present sins, and future. As believers, we are chosen by God, adopted by God, redeemed by God, and forgiven by God through Jesus. But there's more. The fifth blessing or promise is our inheritance. Look with me at verse 11. 
In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Now I think we all know what an inheritance is or what it represents. It's the passing of real or personal property to an heir following the death of the owner. But for a believer, our inheritance is received not when the owner, God, passes, because he doesn't. God is eternal, and he never passes. But for a believer, our inheritance is received when we pass from this life into eternity. And what is our inheritance? In short, our inheritance is heaven and eternity with God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Peter describes it this way. He says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In Revelation chapter 21, heaven is described as God's dwelling place and a place with no tears, no death, no crying, no pain. So as believers, God promises us the inheritance of heaven. And to make sure that we understand that these blessings and these promises are not ever going to be revoked, to make sure that we understand that these blessings or promises of our identity are forever and final, God seals us with his Holy Spirit. That's verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his we are sealed by the Holy Spirit but what significance is that as we are looking at our identity in Christ well first of all the significance of the Holy Spirit means that we belong to God the Holy Spirit is actually the identifying mark of a true believer and secondly, the promise of the Holy Spirit means that we are eternally secure. As a believer, your relationship with God cannot be undone because you did nothing to get it. Your relationship with God is forever and will never be destroyed. And then lastly, the seal of the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It is our guarantee that what God has begun in us on earth, he will accomplish. 
and it's our guarantee of our final resting place, which is in eternity with him. If you are a believer, your true identity is received. It is not achieved. And your true identity is what we call in Christ. And that's something else that you may want to remember. A believer's true identity is in Christ. A believer's true identity is in Christ. He has chosen you, adopted you, redeemed you, forgiven you, promised you, an inheritance, and guaranteed all of this by sealing you with his And each of these blessings or promises found in Ephesians 1 is forever and final and leads to fullness of life. Until I was 35 years old, I found my identity in things other than Christ. What I experienced is what the old hymn describes as my ground being sinking sand. Because what happened was each identity in which I clung to, that of a daughter, a student, a career woman, a wife, a mom, Some of those were taken away, and other of those were very temporary. And for 35 years, I lived in fear and frustration and failure, seeking, 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 but never finding an identity that was satisfying and secure and significant. But God, (laughs) but God placed me in a Bible study where I had an opportunity to dig deep in his word and to seriously study his word and through a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans, God rescued me from that sinking sand. He chose me, adopted me, redeemed me, forgave me, promised me an eternal eternal inheritance, and he sealed me. God placed my feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And now, with joy and with confidence, my identity is in him. I am a daughter of the king. And you better believe I love jazz basketball, and I love to hike in national parks, and I love being a wife and a mom and a church member and a friend. But I am first and foremost a daughter of the king. That is my primary identity. My primary identity is in Christ. 
And I received that identity from him. I did not achieve it on my own. Would you pray with me? Father, I just imagine that in a group the size of this, there are people who have identity struggles and identity issues. I imagine that there are people who are floundering and feeling less than and feeling like a failure because they've placed their identity in something other than you. And that ground is shifting and maybe sinking. And so, Jesus, I pray that your words in Ephesians chapter 1 would land deeply in the hearts of everyone here. That those who follow you would understand that their identity is who you say they are. Their identity has been received, not achieved. In your name we pray. Amen.